Chapter Twenty Four of A Spinner in the Sun by Myrtle Reed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Spinner in the Sun by Myrtle Reed. Chapter Twenty Four Telling Aunt Hitty. Araminta woke with the birds. As yet it was dark, but from afar came the cheery voice of a robin piping gaily of coming dawn when the first ray of light crept into her room and every bird for miles around was swelling his tiny throat in song it seemed to her that until now she had never truly lived the bird that rocked on the maple branch outside her window caroling with all his might was no more free than she love had rolled away the stone aunt hitty had set before the door of araminta's heart and the imprisoned thing was trying its wings as joyously as the birds themselves every sense was exquisitely alive and thrilling had she been older and known more of the world love would not have come to her so but rather with a great peace an unending trust but having waked as surely as the sleeping princess in the tower she knew the uttermost ecstasy of it heard the sound of singing trumpets and saw the white light her fear of aunt hitty had died mysteriously and suddenly she appreciated now as never before all that had been done for her she saw, too, that many things had been done that were better left undone, but in her happy heart was no condemnation for anybody or anything. Araminta dressed leisurely. Usually she hurried into her clothes and ran downstairs to help Aunt Hitty, who was always ready for the day's work before anybody else was awake, but this morning she took her time. She loved the coolness of the water on her face. She loved her white plump arms, her softly rounded throat, the velvety roses that blossomed on her cheeks and the wavy brown masses of her hair, touched by the sun into tints of copper and gold. For the first time in all her life, Araminta realized that she was beautiful. She did not know that love brings beauty with it, nor that the light in her eyes, like a new star, had not risen until last night. She was seriously tempted to slide down the banister, this also having been interdicted since her earliest remembrance. But being a grown woman now, she compromised with herself by taking two stairs at a time in a light, skipping, perilous movement that landed her, safe but breathless, in the lower hall. In the kitchen, wearing an aspect distinctly funereal, was Miss Mehitable. Her brisk, active manner was gone, and she moved slowly. She did not once look up as Araminta came in. "'Good morning, Aunt Hitty,' cried the girl, pirouetting around the bare floor. "'Isn't this the beautifulest morning that ever was? And aren't you glad you're alive?' No, returned Miss Mehitable acidly. I am not. Aren't you? asked Araminta casually, too happy to be deeply concerned about anybody else. Why, what's wrong? I should think, Araminta Lee, that you'd be the last one on earth to ask what's wrong. The floodgates were open now. Wasn't it only yesterday that you broke away from all restraint and refused to make any more quilts? Didn't you put on your best dress in the afternoon, when twasn't Sunday, and I hadn't told you that you could? Didn't you pick a rose and stick it into your hair, and have I ever allowed you to pick a flower on the place, to say nothing of doing anything so foolish as to put it in your hair? Flowers and hair don't go together. There's hair in the parlor, objected Araminta frivolously, made up into a wreath of flowers, so I thought as long as you had made them out of dead people's hair, I'd put some roses in mine now, while I'm alive. Miss Mehitable compressed her lips sternly and went on. 
didn't you take a rug out of the parlor last night and spread it on the porch and have i ever had rugs outdoors except when they was being beat and didn't you sit on the front porch where i've never allowed you to sit it not being modest for a young female to sit outside of her house yes admitted arminta cheerfully i did all those things and i put my hair up loosely instead of tightly as you've always taught me you forgot that no i didn't denied miss mehitable vigorously i was coming to that didn't you go up to miss evelina's without asking me if you could and didn't you go bareheaded as i've never allowed you to do yes laughed araminta i did after i went away pursued miss mehitable swiftly approaching her climax didn't you go up to dr dexter's like a shameless hussy if it makes a shameless hussy of me to go to dr dexter's that's what i am you went there to see dr ralph dexter didn't you yes i did sang araminta and oh aunt hitty he was there he was there ain't i told you demanded miss mehitable how one woman went up there when she had no business to go and got burnt so awful that she has to wear a veil all the rest of her life yes you told me aunt hitty but you see i didn't get burned araminta lee you're going right straight to hell just as fast as you can get there perdition is yawning at your feet didn't that blackmailing play doctor come home with you ralph said araminta and the way she spoke his name made it a caress ralph came home with me i saw you coming home continued miss mehitable with her sharp eyes keenly fixed upon the culprit i saw his arm around your waist and you leanin your head on his shoulder yes laughed araminta i haven't forgotten i can feel his arms around me now and at the gate you needn't deny it for i saw it all he kissed you that's right aunt hitty at his house he kissed me too lots and lots of times and she added her eyes meeting her accusers clearly i kissed him how do you suppose i feel to see such goin's on after all i've done for you you needn't have looked auntie if you didn't like to see it do you know where i went when i went out i went up to deacon robinson's to lay your case before him miss mehitable paused for the worthy deacon was the fearsome spectre of young sinners araminta executed an intricate dance step of her own devising but did not seem interested in the advice he had given he told me went on miss mehitable in the manner of a judge pronouncing sentence upon a criminal that at any cost i must trample down this godless uprising and assert my rightful authority honor thy father and thy mother the bible says and i'm your father and mother rolled into one he said that if i couldn't make you listen in any other way it would be right and proper for me to shut you up in your room and keep you on bread and water until you come to your senses araminta giggled <laughs> i wouldn't be there long she said how funny it would be for ralph to come with a ladder and take me out araminta lee what do you mean why explained the girl we're going to be married ralph and i a nihilist bomb thrown into the immaculate kitchen could not have surprised miss mehitable more she had no idea that it had gone so far married she gasped you not just me alone auntie but ralph and i there has to be two and i'm of age so i can if i want to this last heresy had been learned from ralph only the night before 
married gasped miss mehitable again yes returned araminta firmly married my mother was married and ralph's mother was married and your mother was married everybody's mother is married and mr thorpe says it's the nearest there is to heaven he was going to be married himself but she died dear aunt hitty cooed araminta with winning sweetness don't look so frightened it's nothing dreadful it's only natural and right and i'm the happiest girl the sun shines on to-day don't be selfish auntie you've had me all my life and it's his turn now i'll come to see you every day and you can come and see me kiss me and tell me you're glad i'm going to be married at this juncture thorpe entered the kitchen not aware that he was upon forbidden ground attracted by the sound of voices he had come in just in time to hear araminta's last words dear child he said his fine old face illumined and so you're going to be married to the man you love i'm so glad god bless you he stooped and kissed araminta gently upon the forehead having thus seen as it were the sanction of the church placed upon araminta's startling announcement miss mehitable could say no more during breakfast she did not speak at all even to thorpe araminta chattered gleefully of everything under the blue heaven and even the minister noted the liquid melody of her voice afterward she went out as naturally as a flower turns toward the sun it was a part of the magic beauty of the world that she should meet ralph just outside the gate with a face as radiant as her own i was coming he said after the first rapture had somewhat subsided to tell aunt hitty i told her returned the girl proudly all by my own self you don't mean it what did she say she said everything she told me hell was yawning at my feet but i'm sure it's heaven she said that she was my father and mother rolled into one and i was obliged to remind her that i was of age you thought of that she said admiringly i didn't even know that i'd ever get old enough not to mind anybody but myself or you you won't have to mind me laughed ralph i'll give you a long rope what would i do with the rope queried araminta seriously <laughs> you funny funny girl didn't you ever see a cow staked out in a pasture yes am i a cow <laughs> for the purposes of illustration yes and aunt hitty represents the stake for eighteen or nineteen years your rope has been so short that you could hardly move at all now things are changed and i represent the stake you've got the longest rope now that was ever made in one piece see i'll come back answered araminta seriously i don't think i need any rope at all no dear i know that i was only joking you poor child you've lived so long with that old dragon that you scarcely recognize a joke when you see one a sense of humor araminta is a saving grace for anybody next to love it's the finest gift of the gods have i got it i guess so i think it's asleep but we'll wake it up look here dear see what i brought you from his pocket ralph took a small purple velvet case lined with white satin within was a ring set with a diamond small in circumference but deep and of unusual brilliancy by a singular coincidence it fitted araminta's third finger exactly oh she cried her cheeks glowing for me yes for you till i get another one this was my mother's ring sweetheart i found it among my father's things will you wear it for her sake and for mine 
I'll wear it always, answered Araminta, her great gray eyes on his. And I don't want any other ring. Why, if it hadn't been for her, I never could have had you. Ralph took her into his arms. His heart was filled with that supreme love which has no need of words. Meanwhile, Miss Mehitable was having her bad quarter of an hour. Manlike, Thorpe had taken himself away from a spot where he felt there was about to be a display of emotion. She was in the house alone, and the acute stillness of it seemed an accurate foreshadowing of the future. Miss Mehitable was not among those rare souls who are seldom lonely. Her nature demanded continuous conversation, the subject alone being unimportant. Every thought that came into her mind was destined for a normal outlet in speech. She had no mental reservoir. Araminta was going away, to be married. In spite of her trouble, Miss Mehitable noted the taint of heredity. It's in her blood, she murmured, and maybe Minty ain't so much to blame. In this crisis, however, Miss Mehitable had the valiant support of her conscience. She had never allowed the child to play with boys. In fact, she had not had any playmates at all. As soon as Araminta was old enough to understand, she was taught that boys and men, indeed all human things that wore trousers, long or short, were rank poison, and were to be steadfastly avoided if a woman desired peace of mind. Miss Mehitable frequently said that she had everything a husband could have given her except a lot of trouble. Daily, almost hourly, the wisdom of single blessedness had been impressed upon Araminta. Miss Mehitable neglected no illustration calculated to bring the lesson home. She had even taught her that her own mother was an outcast, and had brought disgrace upon her family by marrying. She had held aloft her maiden standard, and literally compelled Araminta to enlist. Now all her work had gone for naught. Nature had triumphantly reasserted itself, and Araminta had fallen in love. The year stretched before Miss Mehitable in a vast and gloomy vista, illumined by no light. No soft step upon the stair, no sunny face at her table— no sweet girlish laugh, no long companionable afternoons with patchwork, while she talked and Araminta listened. At the thought her stern mouth quivered ever so slightly, and all at once she found the relief of tears. An hour or so afterward she went up to the attic, walking with a stealthy cat-like tread, though there was no one in the house to hear. In a corner, far back under the eaves, three trunks were piled, one on top of the other, Miss Hitty lifted off the two top trunks without apparent effort, for her arms were strong, and drew the lowest one out into the path of sunlight that lay upon the floor, maple branches swaying across it in silhouette. In another corner of the attic, up among the rafters, was a box apparently filled with old newspapers. Miss Hitty reached down among the newspapers with accustomed fingers and drew out a crumpled wad, tightly wedged into one corner of the box. She listened carefully at the door, but there was no step in the house. She was absolutely alone. Nonetheless, she bolted the door of the attic before she picked the crumpled paper apart and took out the key of the trunk. The old lock opened readily, and from the trunk came the musty odor of long-dead lavender and rosemary, lemon verbena and rose geranium. On top was Barbara Lee's wedding gown. Miss Hitty always handled it with reverence, not unmixed with awe, never having had a wedding gown herself. Underneath were the baby clothes which the girl-wife had begun to make when she first knew of her child's coming. The cloth was none too fine, and the little garments were awkwardly cut and badly sewn, but every stitch had been guided by a great love. Araminta's first shoes were there, too, soft, formless things of discolored white kid. Folded in a yellowed paper was a tiny golden curl, snipped secretly, and marked on the outside, Minty's hair. 
Farther down in the trunk were the few relics of Miss Mehitable's faraway girlhood. A dog-eared primer, a string of bright buttons, a broken slate, a ragged, disreputable doll, and a few blown bird's eggs carefully packed away in a small box of cotton. These were her treasures. There was an old autograph album with a gay blue cover, which the years in the trunk had not served to fade. Far down in the trunk was a package which Miss Mehitable took out reverently. It was large and flat, and tied with heavy string in hard knots. She untied the knots patiently. Her mother had taught her never to cut a string. Underneath was more paper and more string. It took her half an hour to bring to light the inmost contents of the package, bound in layer after layer of fine muslin, but not tied. She unrolled the yellowed cloth carefully, for it was very frail. At last she took out a photograph, Anthony Dexter at three-and-twenty, and gazed at it long. On one page of her autograph album was written an old rhyme. The ink had faded so that it was scarcely legible, but Miss Hitty knew it by heart. If you love me as I love you, no knife can cut our love in two. Your sincere friend, Anthony Dexter. Like a tiny sprig of lavender taken from a bush which has never bloomed, this bit of romance lay far back in the secret places of her life. She had a knot of blue ribbon which Anthony Dexter had once given her a lead pencil which he had gallantly sharpened, and which she had never used. Her life had been barren, Miss Mehitable knew that, and in her hours of self-analysis admitted it. She would gladly have taken Evelina's full measure of suffering, in exchange for one tithe of Araminta's joy. After Anthony Dexter had turned from her to Evelina, Miss Mehitable had openly scorned him. She had spent the rest of her life since in showing him and the rest that men were nothing to her, and that he was least of all. She had hovered near his patients simply for the sake of seeing him. She did not care for them at all. She sat in the front window that she might see him drive by, and counted that day lost which brought her no sight of him. This was her one tenderness, her one vulnerable point. The afternoon shadows grew long, and the maple branches ceased to sway. Outside a bird crooned a lullaby to his nesting mate. An oriole perched on the topmost twig of an evergreen in the corner of the yard, and opened his golden throat in a rapture of song. Love was abroad in the world that day. Bees hummed it, birds sang it, roses breathed it. The black and gold messengers of the fields bore velvety pollen from flower to flower, moving lazily on shimmering gossamer wings. A meadowlark rose from a distant clover field, dropping exquisite silvery notes as he flew. The scent of green fields and honeysuckles came in at the open window, mingled inextricably with the croon of the bees. But Miss Mehitable knew only that it was summer, that the world was young, but she was old, and alone, and would be alone for the rest of her life. She leaned forward to look at the picture, and Anthony Dexter smiled back at her, boyish, frank, eager, lovable. A tear dropped on the pictured face, not the first one for the photograph was blistered oddly here and there. "'I've done all I could,' said Miss Mehitable to herself, as she wrapped it up again in its many yellowed folds of muslin. "'I thought Minty would be happier so, but maybe after all God knows best.'" End of chapter 24